And we are talking about community today in our All Things New series. I want to focus us in uh, Ephesians 4, what the Apostle Paul teaches about the nature of the community and the relationships that we have as followers of Jesus. If you're newly joining with us, we're in this series just looking at the way that the message of the gospel renews every sphere, every aspect, every element of our lives. We have about uh, four or five more Sundays in this series, and then we're on to Leviticus after that, if you want to start reading ahead and studying ahead. But in the meantime, I'm going to invite you to open to Ephesians 4. I'm going to invite John to come. He's going to do our reading for us. And I just invite you to open your heart to the Word of God in the Scriptures uh, that we would think of these, these commands, these teachings that were given almost 2,000 years ago and their relevance for us today. So let's open our hearts to the hearing of God's Word. This is the Word of God. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Lord, may that be true of us as a church community. Lord, everywhere we look in this world, it seems like there is so much division, war, literal war, figurative war, ideological war, fracturing, division, animosity, Lord, the very earth itself bears the scars of our failure to live as unified children of God. So I ask and I pray, Lord God, that our time today, we as redeemed sons and daughters, we as uh, who, are, who are saved by grace through faith, would be able to uh, see a little bit more clearly what it means to live as the Christian community, the people of God. Help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And give us all soft and receptive hearts today, I pray in Jesus' good name. Everybody said, amen. I've been thinking about community a lot, not just for this teaching or not just a part of this series, but because of what we are experiencing 
in our world, so much of the community, the ties that bind, that have held us together as a society, seem to be uh, you know, fragmenting and fracturing, maybe more than, definitely more than in my lifetime. People are writing books about why the, the union should break apart or why we, how we could avoid civil war. I mean, it's, it's literally that type of tension that we're living in in our society, and it affects us at the, at the corporate, like the national level. It affects us state by state. It affects us neighborhood by neighborhood. And yes, it affects our church. How do we live in community with one another? And what I've noticed, one of, the, one of the things I've learned over the last year, I've come across some material that's just been a very helpful tool to help me kind of think through why there's this push and pull of togetherness and, and individuality is, is something just called family systems theory. It's, just a, it's something that's been around since the 1950s. It was developed by a psychologist. He had a student who was actually a Jewish rabbi that took it and further developed it in the life of a congregation. But he, but he noticed how in every family... There's this pull towards togetherness, and there's also a competing force, a pull towards individuality. What you might call the we and the me. How many of you in your family of origin, when you were growing up, heard uh, a mom or a dad, or maybe an older sibling, or maybe an aunt or a grandma say something in the category of like, well, in our family, we don't do this or that. Anybody ever hear something like that? Okay. I'm sure all sorts of memories are flooding into your minds right now. Oh, yeah. You have this feeling like, well, in this family, this is how we do it. In this family, this is what we do. In this family, we don't, whatever. And then, that's the we force. Then you have the me force, the individuality. How many of you, when you were growing up, were ever teenagers? part of the life cycle of a human being, right? As a teenager, you are supposed to individuate. You're supposed to figure out the me apart from the we. Now, getting a little bit older, how many of you in those teenage years ever said something like, well, when I grow up and in my family, we're not going to do like what my parents did. Raise your hands. This is church. Be honest, okay? Yeah, my wife's raising her hand big time. Then, you know what's really fun? How many of you got like into your 30s And then you had like a couple kids and a house payment. You're like, oh, oh, that's why mom and dad said X, Y, or Z. We live in this pull between togetherness and and individuality. And both can be a good thing. In in togetherness, there can be a really healthy sense of unity, uh, supporting one another, strength in numbers, cooperation. And there can be a really healthy sense of individualism as well, right? The, I know who I am, and I know how God made me, and how I'm supposed to live, and, and I know kind of my part in the larger body. But how many of you know that sometimes the togetherness force can be a bad thing? The togetherness force can turn into a herd mentality, a mob, a, 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 a you know, lack of critical thinking, reactivity, and stampeding. And the uh, individual side of things can also be bad. You can be self-righteous or cocky or proud or looking down on others or rigid and inflexible. So there's not a right or a wrong because actually the Bible speaks to both. The Bible speaks in very individual terms at times. Think of a, a passage like... Um, Deuteronomy 24, which is repeated by the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, both repeat it, where it says, the fathers don't get put to death for their son's sins, and the sons don't get put to death for the father's sin. No, each one is responsible for their own sin. But then you also have very communal-sounding verses, like in the same Torah, like in Exodus chapter 34, where it says that the Lord is just, and he will even bring the consequences 
of the father's sin to the children of the third and the fourth generation. There's verses like, you know, you must confess and, and believe in your heart and then you'll be saved. And then there's verses that the same Apostle Paul writes, like all Israel will be saved. There's this push and pull between the individual and the communal. Now we live in a culture that has pressed so hard on individualism, maybe more than any other culture in world history. We believe, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? It's like right in our founding documents, all men are created equal, and life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, all those sorts of things. We've pressed so hard on the individual side of things, but even still in our culture, we have gone through these waves, these cycles, where at different times we press more into the community side of things. Think about the Great Depression era into World War II, the banding together, the coming together to conquer these various enemies. And that's actually a period of American history where you see like social programs get put into place, right? Then you think about the radical individualism and expressivism of, you know, after World War II until I would even say the, you know, all the way through the 90s, you got the summer of love, you got the 70s, the 80s, expressive individualism reaching its full bloom in the 1990s with postmodernism where you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and it's all cool because we all just believe what we believe and it's all good, man. It's all your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And then September 11th happened. And I would argue for the last 20 years, we have been now in another swing back towards communalism. The problem is, is we're so politically fractured right now, all the communities are gathering to take pitchforks and torches against each other. But we do see this strong swing towards communalism. Phrases that are just now ubiquitous in our society, things like, you know, the such and such community, right? You talk about groups of people, like the black community or the gay community, watching March Madness, and they talking about, um, you know, oh, the, the school community. I'm like, this is a gigantic school. They don't all know each other. The community, right? Oh, we only could win this game because of the support of the community. I'm like, no, you won the game because you're really good at basketball. I was at Lowe's on Friday. been doing spring cleanup on my yard and shoveling dirt and moving stuff, and I was buying some grass seed, and a younger guy checking me out, and I I paid for it, and I swiped. I have the Lowe's credit card. Lowe's credit card. Highly recommend it. Saves you 10% right off the bat, okay? So I swiped the Lowe's credit card. He goes, oh, man, that's a great discount you got there. I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's the perks of having the Lowe's credit card. And he goes, yeah, I mean, and I was, you know, it's great. You know, I guess that's one of the benefits of being, and he kind of trailed off, and he's like, being part of, and we both kind of looked at each other like, the Lowe's family, and we said it at the exact same time. It was this glorious minute, and like I was laughing to myself for the entire drive home, like the Lowe's family. Like, what's my bedtime? Uh, you know, who's, uh, when are we doing Thanksgiving? How do I, like, are you going to pay for college, or how do I have to get a job? How does this work? Like, do I show up at a Lowe's in, like, Wisconsin and be like, ah, family, I'm home. Like, it's so funny the way that we use these words, community, family, and in the church world, as our society has really swung into this idea of community, We've seen the rise of community, community groups, the community of faith, you know, all this sorts of language you can track through Christian publishing, all the books that have been put out about Christian community over the last 20 years. All that, by the way, I know it's a longer introduction, but all that to say, if we're going to be called into community, genuine, authentic community, I have concern that there's so much noise and there's so much confusion that we don't even know what we're aiming at. I actually have a little bit of, I don't know what the right word is, 
some regret of just talking about communion. We're part of a community, we're part of a family, but maybe not even having as clear of an idea for myself as a leader in this church of what we're actually aiming for. So what I'm sharing with you today is going to be some higher level principles that can then be lived out in some different practical sorts of ways. But this is going to be admittedly a little bit more abstract, a little bit more uh, of the concepts behind community that will then help shape us as followers of Jesus. And I'll just give you the big idea right out of the gate. I'm going to come back to this over and over again, but it's this. Christian community is about Christ, not just community. If we say Christian community the body of Christ, the family of God. The starting point must be an understanding that we're not just going for community in the abstract. We're not just going for community in general. We are going for Christian community. And that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 4 over and over and over and over again. Pick up with me in Ephesians 4 verse 1. He says this, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, all of those instructions are given. Those are relational terms. You can't be humble by yourself. You have to be humble in relation to another or in relationship to God. You can't be patient uh, by yourself. Uh, Being patient requires someone else who is going slower at something than you want them to go, like the guy checking me out at Lowe's. Uh, Gentleness, bearing with one another, maintaining unity, these are all relational terms. And Paul sets the expectation right here. He's talking to the Christian community, the church that is following Jesus in Ephesus. He has already gone through three chapters of glorious exposition about how incredible Jesus is, the death he died for us, the resurrection he rose, how he saves us, he brings us in, we who were far off are now brought near, all that sort of stuff. And he's now beginning to give instructions about what it looks like to live as the Christian community. And what can we notice about these words? It's going to be difficult. Christian community is difficult. I was reading uh, an author named Robert Creech. He's a pastor. He's now a a counselor as well. And uh, I went back and I found this quote. This is a book I read last year. I love this quote. It's a little bit longer, but bear with me. I think it's worthwhile. He says this, most of us who serve congregations, he's speaking specifically like pastors and church leaders, have at one time or another abandoned any pure idealism about the nature of Christian communities. Clyde Fant, one of my seminary professors, observed, in order to be disillusioned, you first have to be illusioned. I love that. Oh, I'm just so disillusioned with whatever. Like, Well, that means you had an illusion then. If our own experience in churches did not open our eyes to the reality that church members are merely people, merely people, with all that implies, reading the New Testament ought to do the job, The gospel stories of Jesus' disciples, their arguments, competition, and frequent misunderstandings of Jesus indicate the material Christ chose as the foundation of this edifice, the church, capital C Church. Like, man, even Jesus is working with messed up team, right? The book of Acts shows us churches, lowercase c churches, the gathering of disciples in Jerusalem, Antioch, Corinth, Philippi, and other places like Linwood. Not technically in the book of Acts, but like that. The stories deal with greedy disciples, grumbling factions, prejudice and discrimination. 
Being God's redeemed people does not imply being God's perfect people. Paul would never have written most of his letters if churches were not communities in which people sometimes behave like ordinary human beings. The letters to the seven churches in the Apocalypse and Revelation offer the same evidence. He's like, the whole entire New Testament is written because y'all are a train wreck. That's the paraphrase there. When people say they would like to be part of a true New Testament church, I wonder, which one? Corinth? (laughs) Galatia? Laodicea? In many respects, these ancient congregations differ little from the church down the street. So let's right-size our expectations. When the Apostle Paul says, living with humility, that means you have to have a healthy self-assessment. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And when he says living with gentleness, you're a mess. So I can be gentle with you. When it says uh, bearing with one another, you know what that says? It's going to take a while. We're going to, this is not just a, we're not going to microwave this. Bearing with one another, with all patience. Making every effort. You know what that means? Not easy. I'm a mess. You're a mess. This is not going to be easy, and it's going to take a while. Buckle up. Sin messes everything up. And even for those of us who, by God's grace, have received the gift of salvation, We're all still works in progress. I have remaining sin. You have remaining sin. We have the flesh. And until the day that Jesus returns and we are made finally perfect, we're going to have to learn how to bear with one another, forgive one another, practice grace with one another. But there's no reason to lose hope or to give up, friends, because of the Savior that we serve. Paul continues straight into verse 4. He says, There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and, to, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. You see the togetherness force there at work, right? Like, let's not fragment out. Let's not, let's not run off in, 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 you know, into fights and fractions. Let's come together because he believes it's possible. Why? Because of the Savior that we're serving. The grace was given to us, each according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he, he's quoting from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people or gave grace to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Okay, this is an extremely complicated passage. It's a classic Paul where he quotes something from the Old Testament. He uses it to make it about Jesus. Many of us in our modern context are left scratching our heads wondering, what in the world is he talking about here? Let me just give you the basics. Christ the second person of the Trinity, the God who exists eternally as community, Father, Son, and Spirit, God in three persons that we sang about earlier. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, came to the second person, the Son, took on human form. He lowered himself. He descended to be made in human form, to be made in human likeness, not only to descend to the earth, but to live a simple life, to live a poor life, to live a life where he was perfect in every way and yet was despised and rejected by men. And he descended even lower still because he died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sin 
sins, the, the division, the fracturing, the fighting, and all of the hatred, the penalty that we owed, Jesus paid it all. But then he didn't stay dead because this ascension starts the the upward trajectory. On the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that every single one of his claims was true. And in just a few weeks on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to baptize some people. and We're going to declare that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ in identification with that resurrection. But there's more because Jesus is not just resurrected. He's ascended. He went ascended far above all the heavens and he's filling all things. This is not just the humble, carpenter rabbi Jesus. This is the cosmic ruling and reigning king. This is who our savior is. Yes, he's the humble servant. Yes, he's the one with the towel wrapped around his waist. But you also need to have this Jesus in your theology, the one who is filling all things, the one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, ruling and reigning over all things. This is the savior that we serve. And if he is that big, if he is that powerful, if he is that majestic, if he is that authoritative, well, then we can learn how to live in Christian community if he's the center of it, if he's not the center of it, we have no hope. This is a big offering. This is a big Christ inviting us into a big community. And the world offers us lesser community. And even in the church, sometimes we settle for this lesser community. We settle for something, community that's based around affinity. We, we, we like the same things. You like hiking, I like hiking. Let's start an affinity community. Or we have a lesser community of, uh, around activity. We rally around the same causes. You think this is wrong, I think that's wrong. Let's, be, uh, uh, you know, let's go solve that problem together. Or we rally around affection. We just really like each other. I like you and you like me and we just mm, warm fuzzies and we just we camp all the time. We're always camping, camping, camping. Stop it. Sleep indoors like a human being. Okay, I'm sorry. Man, you're cheering for Derek. You're booing me. What's going on with you today, Chris? Listen, listen. In all sincerity, there is nothing wrong with camping. No, with any of these things, right? There's nothing wrong with having shared, you know, things you like. There's nothing wrong with really liking people. There's nothing wrong with rallying around causes, but they're a poor foundation for community. Do you know why? Because those things shift. There are things that I used to like that I no longer like. There are causes that I used to believe in or rally around that I, over the years I've grown, I've changed, I've matured. I don't believe in that anymore. The causes change. Let me just be completely frank with you. There are people that I don't really like anymore. Don't you leave me out here on this limb. You are the same. You've had that experience where you used to really enjoy someone's company and enjoy their presence, and then over time, oh, it's kind of drifted apart, or I don't know, know, they, they do weird things now, or whatever. Nothing wrong with liking people. In fact, we should have elements of all of these in our community. They are not the foundation of Christian community. Christ is the foundation. He is the goal. He is the, he is the, he's the one that makes it possible in the first place. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his, his famous work, Life Together, wrote, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. 
The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede, the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another holy and for eternity. The other option here is idolatry, where we idolize something. And if Christ is, if Christ is truly the basis of our community, then you can vote differently than me and I can love you. If Christ is truly the basis of our community, then you can like different activities and like different music and we can still love each other. If Christ is truly the foundation of our community, uh, we don't even necessarily have to be the bestest of friends to truly, genuinely care for each other and reflect Christ to each other. Christ is the center of what our community is. So Christian community is hard. Christian community is Christ in us. Number three, Christian community is formative. Verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a maturity with a stature, the, the measuring stick is Christ's fullness. And then we'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, every social media meme, every viral video. No longer be blown around by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Christian community has a unique place in the life of a follower of Jesus in that it is supposed to be formative. One of my least favorite phrases that gets used in church circles is the phrase, going into ministry. I hate that phrase. When people say that, 99.9% of the time, what they mean is, I'm going to get a paycheck from a church or a Christian organization. Can you, go, can you go back one slide? I want to just put this up on the screen so everybody can see it. God gave church leaders in various capacities to equip the saints for, what does it say? The work of ministry. Dear follower of Jesus, if you have received his grace, if you are saved by grace through faith, then guess what? You are in ministry. You are in ministry every bit as much as I am in ministry Yes, I am employed by the church. That just means I have more time to run around and do this building up, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. You are the ones in ministry. We are all equally together in ministry. And what is our ministry? To build up the body of Christ, to help people reach unity, to help, uh, 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 help people become theologically and doctrinally sound, maturity, knowledge, all of these sorts of things. This is the work of the Christian community. You are all in ministry. And you know when you're in ministry? When you show up on Sunday mornings? When you show up on a Tuesday night to your group? When you meet with a friend for coffee? Your job is to help them grow closer to and more like Jesus. Your job is to make them, to, to compel them even lovingly push them 
in the direction of Jesus. Now this, this focus, if we maintain that Christian community is supposed to be formative, it helps put to death two really common errors that I see in the church. The first one is this. Formation is better than, it's greater than consumerism. See, the opposite of a formation mindset, one, one opposite of the formation mindset is I'm showing up to church or I'm showing up to my group so that they can bless me. Oh man, this group just isn't ministering to me. I'm just going to be real straight with y'all. We live in such a highly consumeristic society. The water that we swim in, the air that we breathe is so consumeristic. And we bring that into the church of Jesus Christ. And instead of showing up and saying, how can I glorify God How can I help push you closer to Jesus? We show up and say, is there a group that meets my needs? I just need people that I like, who like the same things as me, who are in the same stage of life, who, who, you know, follow the same politics. I just want to find people who are like me. You know what that is? Selfishness. It's pride. Is your participation in community for glorifying God and helping shove people closer to him, or is it to meet your needs? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to say, hey, I really could use some help or could use some love. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm talking about the focus of your heart, the purpose. What's the purpose of the community? You're in ministry. You show up, you help them come closer to Jesus. And if they're doing the same thing, they're helping you come closer to Jesus. It's a win-win situation. The other ditch that we can fall into, if we're not helping push people closer to Jesus, is overreach. Community becomes a vehicle for me to just do everything for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'll, I'll manage the prayer list for you. I'll be at every birthday party. I'll be at every baby shower. I'll be at every thing. I'll be the one that will meet your needs. I'll be the one that serves you. I'll be the one that cares for you. I'll be the one that does all these things. And before you know it, you have not helped the people in your community be more dependent upon Jesus. You've made them more dependent upon you. It's selfishness under a different colored umbrella. Rather, we come together, we say, Christ is the center of our community. And my job in ministry is to help every single one of you know him more and to become more like him and to enjoy him more. That is Ephesians 4 biblical community. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for help. I'm not saying it's wrong to give help. But those can't be what drive us. Lastly, I'm way long here. Lastly, Apostle Paul says that the Christian community is a body. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So why do we want, why do we want um, healthy church members? Why do we want to help you grow to be more like Jesus? Well, because we all benefit. When you're more like Jesus, I, I'm more like Jesus, we actually help one another grow into, again, Christ. The body, the connectedness of the body is such a remarkable thing. I mentioned, you know, I'm like doing this lawn work, like my, my back is a little bit out of sorts today. 
probably drumming extra hard because of it or something. It's like, you ever, you ever done something? You ever had, okay, you ever hurt your pinky toe? I remember one time I jumped off of a dock into a lake and there was a sandy lake or whatever, but there was one big rock and it made its presence known by stopping my pinky toe from moving any farther than it was going to move. I broke my pinky toe. And for like the next two weeks, all I could think about, morning, noon, and night, was a part of my body that I could probably go years and never think about. We're so connected. We're so interconnected. In fact, let me say this. If this type of connectedness, if we're all individual cells in the body of Christ, then there is no such thing as a private sin that doesn't hurt anyone else. Sometimes we can justify our sins. We'll say, well, it's private. It's just me. It's victimless. It hurts nobody. Maybe that's true from a naturalistic perspective. But we're not naturalists. We believe in the supernatural. We believe that we're divinely connected to God by his grace. And that if there's a cell in my body that's letting cancer in, it affects the whole body. So there is no such thing as a private spirituality. There's no such thing as a private faith. You are connected. There's this togetherness. And Jesus is the head. Again, there, it's just all over here. It's him. It's him. It's him. He's the head. He's the authority. He's the source. He's the source of all life. You, you can't live without a head. It's really important medical information you needed to hear this morning. You have to have a head to be alive. I've not been to medical school, but I'm pretty confident about this one. We don't live. There is no life apart from Jesus, who is the head. We are his body. He is the head. And in that, there's this beautiful balance between the togetherness I mentioned and the individuality. We get to be our own individual selves. Different, the, the body is made up of how many trillions of cells? And there's lots and lots of different types. But we're still one unified body. I've been reading through a book my, my, my dad gave me uh, for Christmas. I've been kind of slowly reading through it. It's by a guy named uh, Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand spent a long time in India doing ministry and, and medical missions to uh, lepers who've lost use of their body. And this book is called Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. And in it, he just goes through and he talks about different aspects of our body, the skin or the, the eyes or bones. And he kind of relates it to different elements of the Christian faith. It's a really interesting, really fascinating book. But I like this quote that he had. I read this the other day. He says this, the community that the New Testament calls the body of Christ differs from every other human group. Unlike a social or political body, joining it requires an identity transfer, analogous to an infusion of DNA. Jesus described the process to Nicodemus as being born again or born from above, indicating the spiritual life requires an identity change as drastic as a person's first entrance into the world. The process of joining Christ's body may at first seem like a renunciation. Oh no, I'm losing myself. I'm losing my individuality. I forfeit autonomy. Ironically, however, renouncing my old value system in which I had to compete with other people on the basis of power, wealth, and talent and committing myself to the head abruptly frees me. No longer... Oh, my sense of competition fades. No longer do I have to compete through life looking for ways to prove myself. 
Instead, I have the singular goal of pleasing God, of living for an audience of one. And what's more, I can partner with other selves in the body to accomplish God's work in the world. Christian community, Christian community is difficult, but because we serve this incredible cosmic ruling and reigning Savior, it's possible. It's going to shape us and change us into a body. Let me close with a couple of brief thoughts as we prepare to gather as a community around the table of the Lord and eat and drink of his body and his blood. Living in community, um, as a church, one of the elements of this, this renewal season that we're in means that we're looking as leaders, what's the best way practically to arrange our groups and to arrange the different ministries to fulfill these purposes? Friends, I'll just say, there's a lot of different practical level things that people in churches can argue about or whatever. At the end of the day, those things are way less important than the truths of the scripture that I'm teaching you here. Do we do our group meet on Tuesday night or do we meet on Friday night? Do we do men's only, women's only? Do we do a Bible study? Do we do a sharing? Like we can get into the practicals. The point is this. We need to be involved in community. So I encourage you. I plead with you. Get involved in community. Commit. Invest yourself. I know what I'm asking. It's challenging. It's tough. It's inconvenient. When did Jesus ever say that following him was going to be convenient? Number two, make Christ the center. Not your affections, not your activities, not your causes, not anything else. I'm not saying those things can't be present, but is Christ the center? Number three, have realistic expectations. Persevere, bear with one. Sometimes just bearing with one another is the most godly thing you can do. Just going to bear with them. And number four, you're in ministry to help others grow nearer to Christ. So when you show up on a Tuesday night, when you show up on a Wednesday morning, when you show up on a Sunday morning, your mentality is, man, am I focused on Jesus and how am I going to grab somebody and just pull them closer to Jesus? And if we're all doing that together, that's a healthy body. That's a healthy body. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to gather around the table, Lord, would our act of eating and drinking be a spiritually nourishing act for us? This would not be a mere ritual we go through, but Lord, that you would meet with us even in a supernatural way right now as we all eat and drink. Not only are we joined together with others in this room or others in the, the first service or others in our region, we're joined together with all of the saints throughout all of time for all the ages. One body, with one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. Lord, that's the kind of community we want to be. Forgive us when we fail. Empower us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.